0: Hello, my name is Tom Boone.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week.
1: Coming up today, I'll take a look at the inauguration of a brand new president from an aviation perspective, and Tom will touch on Lufthansa, Lufthansa, and a little more Lufthansa.
0: Joe will review the rise in health passports right now, and together we'll update on the latest with the 737 MAX.
1: Finally, Tom will end the show with a look at how Air Baltic is establishing itself in the A220 sector.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show.
1: Let's do that indeed. So, the big news last week, of course, was the inauguration of the shiny new 46th president of the US of A, President Biden. Um,
0: I wouldn't say shiny new, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shiny, shiny new to America, shall we say. So, loads of exciting things happened. Um, I don't want to get into the political side of it, but let's talk about Inauguration Day and how planes played a role in this. So Trump, as we know, decided not to hang around to welcome the new president. And in fact, he was the first president in a century not to stay for the inauguration. But that's another story. So he decided to take Air Force One for a spin one last last time. And he actually left the White House on Marine One. Now, we're not really a, a helicopter site, but it's pretty cool. And uh, mm. I enjoyed watching it take off. So like Air Force One, Marine One can be any helicopter that carries the president on board. But it's usually either the large Sikorsky VH3D Sea King or the newer and slightly smaller VH60N Whitehawk. Um, but for his rotary flight, President Trump decided to go big flying the Sea King for the very short trip to Joint Base Andrews. Um, there, the the Trumps collectively, he even let the First Lady speak, had a little departure ceremony before getting on the Boeing 747-based VC-25A that we all know and love as Air Force One. Um, and he's off to Palm Beach, Florida to uh, hopefully enjoy a relaxing retirement um, and it was interesting because his landing time was scheduled for 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, and at noon, if the flight had been delayed, he would have had to have dropped the Air Force One call sign because he would no longer have been the official president of the USA. But he did land before 12. So it got to be a, an Air Force One trip all the way. And he didn't get an additional bill for that. So <laughs> that was interesting. Um Joe Biden, arriving into Washington, arrived on something rather smaller. So he was only travelling from Wilmington in Delaware... Um, and that's a flight time of around 30 minutes um, mm. and apparently with his environmental concerns he'd actually have rather have taken Amtrak um, but due to security concerns he was encouraged to fly um, and he arrived on a privately hired Boeing 737. Now in the past incoming presidents have often been offered the use of the Boeing 757 based aircraft which we kind of know as Air Force 2 Um mm. it's a C-32 and it was used by Pence during last year's campaign trail but Apparently, Biden was not offered this. Um, but nevertheless, he did travel in style. Um, the 737 that was chartered for his trip was one of two Boeing business jets managed by a company called Jet Edge. Um, and uh, if you've seen the internal photos, it's pretty swanky, I have to say. There's um, plenty of space, a lounge with a couple of couches, lots of seating areas, um, a conference table for up to nine people. And uh, if you happen to have won the lottery last weekend, you can uh, relive Biden's journey yourself. Um, apparently, the plane costs between 12000 to $20,000 an hour. So, uh, you know, why not bag yourself a few hours flying on uh, Biden's jet?
0: <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. Definitely. Expensive.
1: (laughs) So... As you'd expect, um, new administration means new rules. Um, So a bunch of stuff already happened, even on the very first day that President Biden was in office. Um, For a start, he relaxed a travel ban on 13 Muslim-majority nations. Um, And this was just one of like a dozen executive orders he signed on his first day in office. So he had a really busy first day, actually. Um, He also mandated mask wearing on board aircraft, which was interesting. And uh, I think think really the the FAA and airlines are still trying to figure out how exactly they're going to um enforce this and that there is talks of enormous fines coming but at the moment it's just a rule it's got to be done so that's good news I mean
0: Um, what's the big change there though because all of the US airlines were already saying you can't fly with us without a mask
1: they were absolutely Um, the issue was that there was no kind of federal backing so Hmm. although they were saying you must wear a mask and they have been banning passengers that don't there was no kind of legislation to back them up there was no Hmm. mechanism to really enforce that so now they're going to have the full and long arm of the law behind them um, and can implement fines and you know actually prosecute people who refuse to wear a mask on board so okay. it's really just tightening that up and making yep. it a, a federal requirement as opposed to just an airline requirement which I guess gives it a bit more weight um, hmm. but what he will not do at the moment is relax the travel bans um, on the transatlantic and Brazilian passengers um, I don't know if you followed this it was quite quite interesting to watch. But Trump, in the final hours of his presidency, had rescinded the ban. Um, Mm. This was the ban that came into force way back in March last year. Um, And he he rescinded it on the basis that the new testing protocols were coming in. So um, from January the 26th, all air passengers arriving in the US from a foreign country will need to present a negative COVID test before they get on their flight. Um, So President Trump had said that he would relax this ban on the same yeah. day that the new testing mandate began, which was January the 26th. Mm. Um, and he made an announcement or his, his administration, because he's not allowed to use Twitter anymore, but his administration <laughs> made an announcement on Twitter about it. And uh, um, literally an hour later, Biden's team responded with a firm, no, we won't. <laughs> mm. So, um, so yeah, they they kind of scrapped that and the travel ban remains and they've actually added South Africa to it as as well now. So it's good. I think it's great to see Biden's take taking Covid seriously, but yeah. I can imagine it was quite disappointing for those that are separated from their family and friends and were hoping mm. that something would change. So that is my synopsis of the um, inauguration. I really enjoyed watching it. And I have to say JLo is looking amazing for 51. Mm. <laughs> I wish I looked that good and I've got like 10 years on her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Tom, what do you have to tell us about Lufthansa today?
0: Well, To be honest, so much Lufthansa news happened over the last week that I could not touch on Germany's flag carrier. And um, as you know, I went to a talk by the airline's CEO, Carsten Sfor, who I'm going to call Carsten from now on because I've been reliably informed I can't say his surname right. (laughs) So... Uh, starting with financials, we learned that the airline now has a loss of 1 million euros every two hours, which sounds bad, but it's actually a huge improvement on what we had in April last year when it was 1 million every hour. So we've wow. halved the losses. Um, and we also found out that Lufthansa has only taken 3 billion euros of its 9 billion euro government bailout. So, um Everyone was quite surprised when they got the 9 billion euros. But he said, actually, if things go according to plan um, going forwards, they don't expect to take that much more than the 3 billion that they've already taken. Um, Oh, that's good. But I mean, he re-emphasised that it is a loan, not a grant, and it will have to be paid back eventually. So um, I guess the more they take, the worse it's going to be paying it back. Definitely. So... um, the thing that I found most interesting, though, was uh, Carsten's take on slots. as Because as things stand, the EU is expected to start trimming its slot waivers in the coming months. And that would mean that, once again, airlines would have to operate ghost flights to keep their slots or they'd lose them. And, you know, they go for millions of euros, so they don't want to lose these slots. No. Um, and of course, the situation isn't helped by the fact that in Europe, we're in our worst COVID wave of all so far. You know, like yeah. um, Ryanair is only operating, I think, one or two flights from London each day, uh, only to Dublin as well. So, you know, that just says it all. But yeah, speaking of Ryanair, it was really interesting <laughs> because um, Lufthansa CEO mentioned that he would offer nine euro flights to passengers if he had to operate ghost flights. Uh, To keep his slots. To
1: keep his slots. That's a bit of a change of tune, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it seemed
0: really hypocritical of him to say this because he's constantly calling out Ryanair's fares as irresponsible from both an ecological and economic standpoint.
1: Yeah. So...
0: um, So anyway, that's financial stuff. Let's move to policy. And from a policy point of view, the airline is banning cloth masks on board flights from Monday. So only surgical and FFP2 or N95 masks, whatever you want to call them, will be allowed. Mm. And this is just going to bring Lufthansa in line with the latest policy that's adopted in Germany since last weekend. So if Ah. I go to the shops or ride public transport now, I've got to wear a surgical or FFP2 mask. um, Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh-huh. um, it's We're just
1: allowed, I guess, to wear whatever we like. And uh, yeah. I have a range of very beautiful masks that I enjoy wearing out and about. But uh, it'd be a disappointment to me if I had to wear one of the blue ones because, uh, you yeah, know, I, they're I'm not just pretty. wearing
0: this, this white one now, and I thought it would be a real pain, but actually, it's not that bad, you know. Uh, Um, and it, I I I do like now that I'm used to it that it's sort of protecting you a bit as well as other people yeah Um, yeah but sort of more interesting than masks the airline also revealed its new onboard catering partnership with the German brand Dean and David and I must say I wasn't thrilled to see this although it is exciting to see that they've made some news here this will see the half a cheese sandwich with peppers inside which i still don't <laughs> understand um replaced with a range of dishes costing between two and 12 euros i so think like salmon bowls and tahini salads and um a, a bottle of juice will cost three euros but personally uh the menu strikes me as very health kick so i'm yeah. not really on board it. I'd rather have the Speedbird Cafe that we talked about two weeks ago or just the slice of pizza that you can get on there right <laughs> you know. Um if I'm gonna pay for food, I should at least have something I'm gonna enjoy.
1: <laughs> yeah, well it's good to have the healthy option, but I think yeah. sometimes you just you need a Tom carriage pie. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, or just like
0: just like a ham and cheese sandwich. Not a ham and cheese sandwich with like rocket and let's find whatever <laughs> odd and interesting things we can put inside it. Yeah. Um but sort of just summing up my Lufthansa uh, lecture, um, so it was sort of finally from a fleet perspective, there's been some movement both metaphorically and literally. So metaphorically, as far as the A340-600 is concerned, it's seeming increasingly likely that none are going to leave Terrell Carsten pointed out that we took the a three forty six hundred out and we don't plan to bring them back into the air. Oh, dear. Um, but... Also, on Monday, we saw Lufthansa celebrate five years of Airbus A320neo operation, which I'm not going to get too deep into because it's not so exciting. Um, And then Tuesday, we saw the airline's first Airbus A380 flight in months, which you'd think would be cause for celebration. But Actually, it just saw one of the A380s being sent to TARBs for storage, which Aww. is famous for having taken apart two of Singapore's A380s so far. Yeah, and that's
1: Tarmac AeroSave down there, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. And I kind yeah. of, it, it, in September, they did say, look, we're going to send them to long term storage. And I guess this is just that happening now. But it just seems increasingly likely that as far as Lufthansa is concerned, the type is dead now
1: yeah oh what a shame Mm. i want to see more giants of the sky (laughs) well i'm
0: just really sad because i didn't get the memo that it would be leaving frankfurt and i would have been up at the crack of dawn to go and see it if i don't know i bet
1: you would yeah i bet you would (laughs) Oh well, maybe there'll be another. Is there? Are there any more still at Frankfurt?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've got six left at Frankfurt now. I assume that um, they will slowly, slowly go over to Tarbes with the other one. But I've contacted Lufthansa to find out. Haven't had an answer yet. So watch Aww. this space.
1: You shall have to track them on the uh, flight. Software At, that we use, so that we can yeah. uh, let you can find out when they're leaving and uh, get out of bed early. <laughs> yeah, I, well,
0: to be honest, the, the tricky thing is with these ferry flights; it's not like a scheduled thing, so they don't necessarily show up in advance. You know, until like, they
1: actually take off. By yeah. which time, I guess it's a bit too late.
0: But, well, it depends. Uh, if they're using um runway two two, uh, two not two five. The um, if they're using the eastbound runways, then maybe. But it, it took off from the south runway, and I guess. Um, Most of them will because that's kind of already on the way to Tarb's
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about health passports. Um, Not a hugely exciting topic, I know, but um, I think it's kind of important, particularly to those of us that are really missing travel, to um, find out what it is that's going to stimulate travel coming back. And uh, throughout the COVID crisis, we've really heard people talking about health passports and some sort of verification for your, not only your COVID status, but also your vaccination, which we're now getting rolled out around the world. So um,
0: slowly. (laughs)
1: Slowly, (laughs) What we're now seeing is some real life solutions to this kind of issue. Um, So last week, American Airlines introduced a health passport for inbound travel to the United States, which is usable from all international destinations. Um, So they based this on their Verify app, um, which was originally uh, kind of brought about to streamline the check-in and document verification process. It was a a means of uploading your ID and and getting your boarding pass and everything in a, a digital app-based environment Mm. Um, but now they've kind of added to the app um, so that you can use the Verify app to confirm your testing and other travel requirements and that came in on January the 23rd Um, so really they've expanded the access to it and it supports the government's requirement that all passengers age two and older now have to have this negative COVID test Mm. Um, so any passengers that are traveling to the US are able to upload their um, enter their destination and upload the required documentation, such as their proof of a negative PCR test. Um, so that's one. And the other one that is getting quite a lot of interest is um, the one that IATA, the International Air Transport Association, has been developing, um, which they call the Travel Pass. Um, mm. So they are launching this with both Etihad and Emirates, who will become the first airlines globally to trial it. Um, so in the coming weeks, Etihad customers are going to be offered to use the pass on on selected flights from Abu Dhabi. Um, For Emirates, they're they're doing a bit more work on the ground first. So they're implementing what they call phase one in Dubai, which will allow it to validate COVID-19 PCR tests before you leave. Um, Mm. But they're expected to start rolling the the, um, travel pass out in around April time. so, what is this travel pass? Basically, it's similar to the one that American Airlines is using. It provides a centralised app-based digital passport to collect and verify all the pre-travel requirements passengers might need. So, um, they will need to—they will be able to check that the test that they've got or the vaccination they've had meets the requirements of the destination they want to travel to. And I think this is really important with several vaccinations being rolled out and lots of different ways of getting a COVID test. Um, you know, I think it it's it's very important that people are able to check if they've actually got the right one for the place they want to go. Um, And they're even even able to share their vaccination or test certificates with the authorities of that country to kind of get it verified. Obviously, this requires a lot of tie-up around the world and it's going to be a challenge for IATA to get enough kind of destinations and airlines signed on. Um, But I think it's got potential to be really good. Um, There's also other aspects of the app which I think are really interesting because... um, Um, the passenger can actually look up the destination on the day of travel um, to support, you know, what is required and to double check everything. Um, You know, they can even sort of start planning a journey based on the type of vaccination or the PCR test they've got. Um, And they can even locate a testing centre or a lab which meets the standards for the tests that they need to go to that place. So it's really like a travel support tool. I'm I'm quite excited by it and to see how it works in practice. Um, But no doubt we're going to see loads more examples of health passports over the coming weeks and months um, and I do think we're going to need something to verify that people have the right um, kind of requirements to go to the place they want to go to that's the only way we're going to restart travel Um yeah you know, there's, there's already been cases of people faking PCR certificates and whatever else, you know, saying that they've had a vaccine when they haven't, and I think that's going to become a massive issue through 2021, and I think we will no doubt come back to the very rather dry topic of health passports in the future, but yeah. uh, for now, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how particularly the IATA one plays out because that's one that could potentially be used all over the world.
0: Mm. We'll watch this space. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) So, Tom, what's happening with the uh, poor old 737 Max? It's coming back, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So, um, it was good news in Canada for Max lovers um, this week and bad news in Canada for Max haters this week. Um, So, from the Canadian point of view, the 737 Max has now been recertified. Woo! Yay! Last Wednesday, Transport Canada repealed its NOTAM uh, notice to airmen forbidding passenger operations of the type. And very soon after, the day after in fact on Thursday, WestJet operated its first flight with the type. Air Canada is set to follow on Monday, the 1st of February. And as things stand, I haven't seen any plans from the third Canadian MAX operator, Sunwing Airlines, to resume flights yet. But okay. I did want to mention them because I think a lot of people forget that they are Canadian and they fly the MAX. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I certainly did at one point. So um, that was interesting. But we also saw some interesting scheduling for the MAX this week. Um you remember that uh, both Air Canada and WestJet are planning to fly the aircraft from Halifax transatlantically yeah. Air Canada to Heathrow and WestJet to Gatwick and That's a long
1: long trip, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah, you know, like it's um 7 hours up to on the return, uh, 6 hours on the way out. It's um on a single aisle plane, you know. A lot of people get really stressed about the thought of traveling on a single aisle plane for 6-7 hours, but I think you know, what's the difference between being in the window seat on a 737 MAX and being on the window seat of an A380? You've still got to yeah. climb over two people to go to the loo.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I think, you know, unless you're traveling in the the premium seats, it's yeah. much of a muchness, really. In fact, yeah, you, I think, there's less people to queue up on the way out on a narrow body. Yeah. So I don't see the issue, really.
0: Exactly. And I mean, of course, these flights are still going to be dependent on the pandemic and the MAX being recertified in the UK. Uh, one of the airlines did mention to us that they haven't uh, set out concrete plans to operate the Max on that route yet, but we did note, right. uh, point out that uh, they are selling tickets for a Max yeah. flight on that route. So <laughs> they um, absolutely are. That was an interesting one, but I think I think I might be seeing it in Europe soon. Is that right, Joe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the. Um, EASA, which is the European Avi- Aviation Safety Agency, is expected to under- unground the MAX this week. So we don't have an exact date, um, but last week, Patrick Key, who is the uh, director of EASA, said that he planned to publish the Airworthy Directive airworthiness directive this week Um, and in fact yesterday we're recording this on Tuesday so it may even be ungrounded by the time this uh, (laughs) podcast is released Um, but yesterday on Monday we saw him um, he had to appear before the European Parliament's Committee on Transport and Tourism um, to explain why he thought it was ready to unground and to answer questions from MEPs so um, he said during that conversation that um, following the two tragic accidents EASA had Specified four conditions that needed to be met in order to allow the aircraft to fly. Um, The four conditions included things like a full understanding of the root cause of the accidents, EASA's approval of design changes by Boeing, an independent Mm. review of safety critical components, and specific max training for pilots. Um, And yesterday, he said we believe now that those four conditions are met. Um, And he went on; he explained how detailed EASA's study has been. You know, he it was really quite some extensive work involving like 20 people over a period of the almost 20 months it was grounded so Mm. um, he didn't give a firm date for the ungrounding to take place but he did say that following the certification by the US, Brazil and Canada we are the next ones so it's imminent guys it's imminent (laughs) and that will be really good news for those um, airlines that not only are based in Europe and have max fleets but the ones that would like to fly into Europe with their max fleet Um, Yeah. And the only other thing I wanted to just mention briefly, (laughs) not wanting to scare anyone, but um, also this week, a former Boeing manager has written an extensive paper claiming that the aircraft is still not fixed. So this guy is called Ed Pearson, and he used to work at the 737 factory at Renton, um, and he left, I think, in August 2018. Mm. And, you know, if you haven't read his paper, it makes for an interesting read, but I think you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. There seems to be a bit of sour grapes there. As well. I'm not sure he left on the best terms with Boeing, but he says that regulators and investigators haven't addressed some of the crucial issues that may have played a role in the accidents. But from my point of view, I think this is an incredibly scrutinized aircraft. It's going to be back in European skies very shortly. And, you know, if anything. It's just a case
0: of when, not if.
1: Yeah, exactly. If anything goes wrong with it now, it would be the end of Boeing. So I think they've got to be a hundred and ten percent sure that it's absolutely safe to, to go back into service. So mm. I've got confidence, and I was a doubter before. So uh, that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs>
0: well, you know, like I, I I would happily fly on it tomorrow if it was here. Um, the only thing I won't worry about is, um, like obviously, EASA is going to unground it. But then, how would that translate to Europe? Because I know. A lot of countries in Europe individually said we're grounding it before um, EASA said, for all of them, we're grounding it. And I know they um, did. And of course, uh, over here in the UK,
1: we've uh, Brexited.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, even now it varies because um, most of the European countries will let you fly it for maintenance or like with the flaps down very slowly. But Germany is completely forbidden still.
1: Right, right. I guess yeah. they they make the recommendation. They publish yeah. the airworthiness directive and then the individual countries have to go, yeah, we agree. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know how it's going to work in the UK at all because I think the CAA's taken over our aviation regulations. They probably regulations, don't know how so.
0: it's going to work. Out,
1: <laughs> well, we generally don't. Our leaders yeah. don't know what's going on most of the time, but there we go. So um, that's the Max Latest. And yeah. uh, would you like I to wanted- tell us something about our favourite narrow body?
0: <laughs> yeah. I wanted to round off the uh, round off today's podcast a little bit by talking about Air Baltic. And last week they revealed plans to build a new maintenance hangar at Riga Airport. So this facility is going to span 34,500 square meters. It will store up to 7 A22300 aircraft at any one time. And they're hoping to finish construction by the end of 2023. So the new hangar will allow Air Baltic to complete in-house maintenance on its A220 fleet in addition to offering maintenance to other A220 operators. So sort of think um, like Egypt Air, for example, maybe the the A220 is only a small uh, part of their fleet. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense to have a whole... Obviously, it makes sense to have mechanics that can work on the A220 for small things, but it doesn't make sense to necessarily have...
1: Maybe not a whole, MRO place.
0: Yeah, Yeah. uh, like doing sea checks and that, which is what um, Air Baltic does. But for Air Baltic, it really does make sense because that's their only plane. Yeah. Um, And so far, they've completed seven sea sea checks on their A220 300 fleet. But I thought it was interesting seeing how much they've operated the fleet so far. They've managed... Um, Over 60,000 flights so far, which equates to over uh, 5,900,000 passengers flown and 141,000 block hours. And today or yesterday, they also revealed that they're planning to train their mechanics for the facility in-house in addition to training airlines, um, A220 mechanics for other airlines. So it really seems Hmm. that... um, Air Baltic has its heart set on being the go-to for A220 questions, A220 maintenance, A220 staff, which it makes me really happy to see that somebody has found this niche because I think still the A220 is really under underappreciated in the industry. I feel.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's ramping up. I think it's yeah. uh, got a lot of love right now. And uh, unfortunately, it's not being produced very quickly. So even if the impetus is there to get more of them in the skies, I think it's going to mm. be a while before uh, there's well, any significant fleet.
0: I think IAG just needs to get a couple to resume the flight via shannon to, from city to jfk but oh
1: definitely that would be awesome mm. <laughs> perfect aircraft
0: if you're listening sean
1: <laughs> get it done <laughs> okay i think that's about all we've got time for for today's podcast but we hope you enjoyed it and as usual we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com
0: for more great content you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media simply search for simple flying
1: If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.